everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. And I'm Andrew Paul. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Edmonton is full of generous donors who've created endowment funds at ECF. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community, because it's good to be well endowed. On this episode, we're joined by Shannon Blanchett, Shannon is an actor, improviser, and educator who has been a pillar of Edmonton's theater and acting community for years. She works in film, television, video games, and theater, where, among a long list of credits, she is a core member of Dynasty, the live improvised soap opera, and was part of Catalyst Theater's acclaimed Nevermore, which had an 11-week off-Broadway run in New York. Like so many artists, Shannon has faced unique challenges during the pandemic as venues close, festivals postpone, and theater companies try to adapt to new virtual realities. But as the saying goes, the show must go on. That's right. Though the artist community is struggling with a myriad of issues, it doesn't mean that our city's artists are sitting idle. Thanks to Edmonton Artists Trust Fund, 20 artists have received funding to help keep them creating throughout the pandemic. The EATF was established in 1997 and is a joint project between the Edmonton Arts Council and Edmonton Community Foundation. The EATF invests in Edmonton's creative community. The award recognizes an artist's work and contribution to the community and provides financial stability to renew, develop, create, or experiment. Over the past 22 years, the EATF has invested in more than 100 multimedia, literary, music, dance, film, theater, and visual artists, and contributed more than 800000 to the arts economy. Shannon Blanchett was one of 20 recipients of the EATF in 2020. Our correspondent Paul Blinov caught up with Shannon to chat about her journey coming through the ranks of Edmonton's theatre scene, the challenges of the pandemic, and how EATF is helping her to continue to create during this difficult time. And just a heads up that Shannon's interview was recorded over the phone, so it might sound a little different than our usual episodes. Hello? Hi Shannon, it's Paul. Hi Paul, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, all things considered. Of course, it's so funny. Every interview I do now, usually the opening pleasantries are something to that effect, and now it's like, how are you holding up? Yeah, yeah. It's like changed that, like you said, the opening pleasantries to a more kind of genuine question. Yeah, it's now like a legitimate (laughs) check-in. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, are you okay? Not to imply that you're not, Mm -hmm. but if you aren't, you can tell me. (laughs) Totally. Um, But I'm good. Uh, I I feel... Yeah, uh, all the things. Um, but uh, how about you? How are things? Yeah, you know, like, again, all things considered, I can't say I've ever been as actively grateful for the life I have, mm-hmm. uh, for the for the privilege, and this is going to sound so cheesy, but it, this is who I'm becoming in this situation, totally. for the gift that I've had the luck of being given. Um, I'm hoping that if, when the world kind of grinds back into gear, I don't lose that and fall into some sort of cynicism. Totally. Because, <laughs> like, it's rarely a day that my partner and I, like Aaron and I, don't look at each other and just go, holy man, we're lucky. Yeah, so, I hear you. So, um, we have jobs. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I have, you know, I got a trust fund to watch. Yeah. <laughs> 
like, which I never would have applied for without the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Congratulations on the award. Thank you. Yeah. Great. How are maybe this is self evident, but but how are you feeling about it and and receiving that, especially if it wasn't something you would have um, necessarily applied for in a, in a different time? Yeah, I I mean I I've applied for it before, mm-hmm. but uh, I think the current circumstances kind of brought into focus what I'm curious about, and so I'm ecstatic and honored to get the support and to be included to look at the list of people of company I am in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I listen to Kaylee Cardinal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of CKUA and her show. And obviously, Christy Hansen and Leona Browsen are colleagues that I work with regularly. Mm-hmm. And so Josh Langdock. Like, you look at the company you're in and, and just go, oh, okay, well, that's pretty neat. Great. So, I, I mean, I have some questions about, about your career. And, yeah, and, the and award. I will answer them awkwardly. <laughs> Great. Perfect. That's that's the way to do it. That's the only way to answer questions. So, I guess maybe can you tell me a little bit about um, where your career in the arts began? Um, when you started performing, and maybe some highlights from, from that? Sure. Where did my career in the arts begin? I think... Realistically, it began in high school in Ontario with as many people in the arts seem to share. I had a teacher who made it explicitly clear that this was a thing we could do. Acting was a thing you could do for as a job. And the high school I went to in the time that I was there churned out a number of actors who were working on Broadway and at Stratford and independently. And so I think that's a testament to his, to Mr. Malcolm's work as a teacher. Um, And then I ended up in Edmonton and auditioned for a Walterdale show. Glenda Sterling was directing Goodnight Desdemona, Good Morning Juliet. And yeah, and cast me as Juliet, even though I was, you know, kind of just bright eyed. and, And then after that, people started reaching out. The community reached out to me. Trevor Schmidt saw the show and said, I know someone who could play your mom. Do you want to do a show? And from there, that was for a one-act festival. And then Kim McCaw, who was at the time chair of the drama department, said, have you ever thought about going to theater school? So my career has really been, oh, wow, that this got me emotional. Um, a series of events where people reached out their hands to me and invited me uh, to try something new. Edmonton just reached, has always just reached out. Dynasty reached out after I had done a couple of guest spots. Jeff Haslam reached out and said, I think that you should come and play. He said, some people just come into the room and some people need to be invited. Mm. He said, I, I think you're one of those people that needs to be invited. So know that this is an invitation from us. Um, Catalyst Theater was the same. Like it's just been a series of people reaching out and encouraging me, mm-hmm. and and then you kind of arrive to now where I'm working as a teacher, and kind of realized that I went, oh wait, no, my creative voice, I have, I have one, you know, I don't need the invitation as much anymore. Now I'm in a position to reach out and invite others. How did you get into teaching, and and what has that experience been like for you? Um, I was working at BioWare on Mass Effect Andromeda, which I think received a bum rap 
It was um, a great game. I will stand by that you. game. I loved Andromeda. I, I know it was a hard pivot for people to make, mm-hmm. um, but I'm proud of I'm proud of the game. Yeah. Um, so I was working there, and my former professor and voice coach on Nevermore, Betty Moulton, reached out and said, "Hey, would you be interested in coming in and covering some classes for me in the BFA?" And I said, "Sure, that I don't know what I have to offer, but." okay and so i went in and did a few classes and went oh this feels like acting this feels feels like doing the thing i do Mm -hmm. Uh, but i don't really know what i'm doing i'm kind of performing it and so i asked betty how i might improve my toolkit Uh, and as a result she said well the program was supposed to be shutting down but the MFA in theater voice pedagogy might might run if there's another candidate who's expressed interest. Maybe you should maybe you could look into that. And so again, it was a hand reaching out and me going, okay. So so then I I finished my MFA, did my MFA in theater voice pedagogy, which mm-hmm. is a, a really short statement for an epic experience. Right. And then continued teaching, and have continued teaching as part of. As part of my larger creative practice, I guess. Uh, I know this is a very big question, but is there like mm-hmm. an elevator pitch version of your MFA thesis? Yeah. Okay. My thesis incorporated... I worked with creative processes in the rehearsal hall as a vo- vocal coach and actor, and research and experimentation in cognitive neuroscience to try to understand what's happening underneath the hood for the actor as a result of their training. Like how, how does actor training change who you are? Right. Because that was my experience. Teachers teach what they most need to learn. Mm -hmm. My mentor, David Lee said that as artists, I think there's a part of us that we're, we're seeking some sort of insight into a question we have about ourselves or our experience. Mm-hmm. And so I did a course of eight weeks of vocal training and did measurements on subjects before and after of how their brains processed sound, what's called auditory evoked potential. And what, uh, what did you see? Um, I know this is really getting into the, into the weeds yeah. and, and the depth, but I'm, I'm so interested. So oh, that's a big answer. <laughs> yeah, that's great though, and I think it's so so important as well. Um, it's funny to, to circle back to like something you were you're saying earlier. I, I feel like um, like I started do like so many of us like we started doing arts in in our teenage years in sort of that uh-huh. like still sort of late developmental stage. But like I don't know who I'd be if I hadn't done that because so much of who I've become is sort of connected to or rooted from, from or based on lessons learned sort of going through that. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I think, so I think it does have the, like a fundamental shaping on, on who you are. Yeah. Cause I think we all see the world through a filter and which is shaped kind of calibrated by experience, which confirms or, or conflicts with beliefs and therefore shapes them. Mm-hmm. And so, as you say, I don't know who I'd be. Um, I was in a really bad place when Brenda Sterling cast me in that Walterdale show. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would be right. if not for that. I was at a real crossroads in my life. And uh, really, like you said, like late development, I was 19 and I had no purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people share the experience of finding a purpose that they may not be able to articulate through the arts but it gives them whatever they need to keep going. And then as they continue to engage with it, they gain clarity on what they believe and what their values are and what their purpose is. Right. So it gives you a a way of knowing, you know, in the body before you can articulate it. Right. Yeah. And that's a way of finding that in some ways or learning to articulate that. Yeah. And for me, it it has led, as I said, to trusting myself more and trusting the process of not knowing what the outcome of something will be, but moving forward despite that or because you don't know. Right. My partner's a social studies teacher, and he said, I don't mean this is combative, but, like, what's the point of what you're doing? Mm-hmm. I said, I just, we we need to point out, like, your assumption is that I know what the point is before I start. Right. I was like, I don't know what the point is. Like, the point is to make a thing, I guess. He's like, what? Like, to make what? I go, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I I have enough experience now to know that a thing will get made. And hopefully it is a thing that is of value uh, to others. Mm -hmm. You want, you know, but but, uh, that's all I need to know. And he was like, that's weird to me. Right. Yeah. I get that. Mm-hmm. I used to think you needed to know as well. I used to think that like really successful actors, the, the only way you could be a successful actor is if you knew you were willing to sleep in your car, for example, to become an actor because there was nothing else you could do. Right. And I thought because I had other things that interested me that that meant I wasn't an actor. And then I went, maybe the term actor isn't right for you. Maybe the word artist is a better fit. Uh, what does an award like this allow you to do? And sort of, or the trust fund, I guess, rather than award. Um, but, um, huh. and what are you sort of planning on doing with that, that, that fund if, if you have any plan for it at all at this point? Well, I've bought some equipment because to go back to kind of the science angle, I'm interested in how we can use technology to play and create rather than just document. Right. And I'm using um, the time to become more self-sufficient so that if I have a question or something I want to do, I can just do it and I don't have to wait. Right. Um, I can hop into my living room um, with a camera and a microphone or go outside and try something. Um, And if I want to edit something together... It's not a painstaking, agonizing process. Right. So I'm I'm upping my technical skills for the next few months as I play. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the 
all of the money would be gone if I bought all the things I wanted right. to buy. So I had to rein in the dream um, a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's one one aspect. The other one is to carry forward, to continue my thesis research or along that vein, not exactly the mm-hmm. same question, but when you're so busy just working and kind of grinding to pay the bills, the research side of things falls, I've discovered, falls away. Right. So I have tons of articles that have been sent to me. I have so much reading to do to figure out specifically what my next question is and how I'm going to test or the process that I may follow to go about answering it. Those are a couple of the things I'm doing. Um, And there's a project called Other People's Lives that is the creative arm of my bigger question of experience and identity that is based on my time as a house sitter. Yeah, I kind of, I lived out of a suitcase for many years and took care of other people's pets and homes. And as I've said to others, like, it felt like I was trying on other people's identities a little bit to pick up their routines. And so I've been writing around that as more of a scripted fictional narrative. That's kind of the basis. So there are the three areas of kind of research, experimentation, and creation. That sounds like a lot to do. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I, I I think it's likely that not all of it will get done, but set mm-hmm. your sights high and, and, and just keep moving forward. Like, even if it doesn't all get done... More will get done if I keep doing it. That's kind of my attitude lately. It's like, don't not start. Yeah. It's the only way to make sure it never gets done, is to not not start at all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Betty Moulton once said that to me in a warm-up, whispered to me. The thing that they all forget is that if they just do it, it gets done. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, you were, something you were saying earlier really resonated with me about sort of um, technology um, as a way of sort of not just documenting, but as a way of exploring and, and capturing. Um, uh-huh. And um, I, I run sort of Rapid Fire's high school programming, and we've been doing it, uh-huh. of course, all on Zoom right now. And it's funny the differences between young people who are just willing to try things. Like, these kids are constantly doing things that are so interesting over Zoom and trying things, and some of them failed but they always fail big um, yeah. and then they learn from it and then they do better things because of it. Um, and so it's always so inspiring to watch because they're just willing to, to play with the confines they're given, which right now is zoom. It's super cool. It's, yeah. Like what, what is something, if I can ask you, like, is there a moment you can think of where someone either like failed big and went, okay, well not that, but because I know that that was a big old fail, mm-hmm. I'm going to try this. I can think of, I think, two. There's one that I would say was, like, I watched develop and one that was just, like, um, impressive from the get-go. Um, the impressive one was just really simple, but it was um, one of the things with Zoom, obviously, is, like, the speed of which, like, turning off and on your camera slows things down or, or adds, like, this lurch to to a scene. Um, and so some teams started just um, leaving their cameras on, but they would cover their camera with, like, a sticky note. So they could like super quickly appear and disappear without having to worry about Zoom like processing it. Uh-huh. Um, and the other one um, that was more like developmental was like trying to do like ensemble type things was like at the start so cluttery and messy. And then um, one team sort of figured it out. 
which was they um they were doing this like very stylized thing and so they all like uh were playing with lights but there were only like two characters in the scene but all the other screens were on just sort of like giving mood and atmosphere and reacting to the narrative so you Uh. always kind of knew what was happening because it was focused on these two characters but there was like this wash of screens that were like giving it mood and making it feel more like theater um, instead of people like talking at their cameras in their basements in their homes Um, so so it was cool to see them over time figure that out and so it's it's constantly inspiring for me to watch them do those things and figure it out um, based on the situation they're in awesome and that like and and carry forward that value of yes and Mm mm-hmm in a in a different way right and even if we never never go back to zoom prov after this i think just like the energy it took and the creativity of figuring out a puzzle like that is still so beneficial to whatever they end up going on and doing in the rest of their lives is knowing that like you can either accept the thing and be sort of like unhappy with it or like this is good enough or you can like push and and see what comes of it and discover some things that are really uh joyful yeah like I, i'm teaching a scene study unit and um, i couldn't have chosen like a more hilarious project mm-hmm. for a pandemic right. in uh, in greek chorus um and um narrative like homeric voice and um <laughs> narrative poetry mm-hmm. uh at the u and we had three the final three days of these five-week units, we had everyone in the room together. Otherwise, there was always someone on a screen. Yeah. And so one day, like, half of the people just suddenly couldn't be there. Right. And I was like, okay, well, I can feel my chest getting tight, but this cannot work. Well, the plan is not possible right now. Mm-hmm. So... Had a, had a cry, full honesty. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, my God, yeah. my idea. Mm-hmm. Grieved it for an afternoon at home by myself. And then was like, okay, well, we're going online. It's now a digital media project. And we're going to pivot and adapt. And Elise, uh, do you know Elise Graham? You've met, I'm sure, Elise. Sure, the, um, name, the name is very familiar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she came in and did a session. Like I was like, can you come in and talk to them about shooting on their phones? Mm-hmm. And she came in, and they're creativity was off the hook like it was so inspiring to see these students go okay i was like you know what you're going to make a shot list and you're going to get it done yeah that's the goal and elise was like keep it simple don't you know move the move the subjects in the frame don't move the frame like keep your camera locked as much as possible don't worry so much about lighting Mm -hmm. and she gave lighting tips but it was like keep it simple stupid kind of thing and the students Mm -hmm. went or not right. and they blew me away they there's some just like gorgeous camera work awesome lighting mm-hmm. that and these themes start to emerge across the groups mm-hmm. where it's like oh you're all working in silhouette and they all had to wear masks and so suddenly they're doing crazy things like they're they're drawing on their masks mm-hmm. they're smashing their faces into bowls of cereal with their masks on right it's kind of like going all right we're gonna hit this thing with with all of our energy and was it the plan no was it ideal no 
not for what we thought we were doing. Right. But it turns out we were doing something else. And like you said, I think it's going to keep that lesson keeps growing. If you become conscious of it, then you start seeing you're primed kind of psych talk. Mm -hmm. You've been primed to a stimulus and then you start to see other places in your life where you go, right, that's not what I thought. I'm going to just go anyway. And that gives me hope. That keeps me going on the days when I feel less um, ecstatic about the state of the world. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Great. That's all the questions I have. Is there anything you want to add or think we didn't touch on? Just uh, thank you um, to the people of Edmonton who are overwhelmingly supportive of the arts and have been throughout this crazy time. I learned from Stuart that it's very important to say thank you to the audiences and acknowledge that they are a part of the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess comes first love full circle to gratitude for the city. Right. Well, thanks so much for your time, Shannon. Yeah, and thank you. What a pleasure to talk to you. Many thanks to Shannon Blanchett and Paul Blinov for bringing us the story. If you'd like to learn more about Shannon and her work, we'll have a bunch of links in our show notes. And be sure to check out our blog to meet the rest of the 2020 EATF recipients. You can find it at ecfoundation.org, and we'll have a link to that as well. Nominations will open for the 2021 Edmonton Artist Trust Fund later this summer. If you know an artist in Edmonton who might be a good fit for the awards, you can find a link to the nomination page in our show notes as well. While you're there, don't forget to check out our upcoming student awards and granting opportunities. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, be sure to share it with your friends and family. If you have time, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews do help new listeners find our show. And you can visit us on Facebook where you can share your thoughts and see some pictures. Thanks again for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Andrew Paul. And Elizabeth Bogging. Until next time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.